Well, good morning, my friends. It is uh, Monday, March 29th that I am recording this for. I'm a little emotional this afternoon as I sit in my new office looking out the windows. I'm feeling incredibly blessed. Um, we're in the uh, podcast uh, number 252. That's hard to believe, but uh, God has blessed us. We're in Matthew chapter 26. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to look at uh, verse 6. Uh, verses 6 through 16, Matthew chapter 26. Now, at first, it doesn't appear that this makes much sense because we start to talk about the plot to kill Jesus, and then there's this, all of a sudden, there's this story again of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. Uh, Matthew doesn't claim to have his book chronological, and and, and um, remember, uh, Mark's gospel was written first, then Matthew, and then John's gospel. But this story of um, Jesus anointed at Bethany shows up in all three of the gospels. It shows up here, then it shows up in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. John gives more detail. John mentions that Mary that is mentioned in this story is the sister of Lazarus. Uh, John mentions that it's Judas who complains um, and Matthew, Mark does as well. Matthew does not. He says it's the disciples. So again, we have the story being told um, from three different viewpoints, but the story is really the same, that Jesus um, is anointed. Um, Mary is under, misunderstood in so many uh, situations. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus in one instance. Remember when Martha was in the in the back room making dinner and Martha complains when Mary was misunderstood, but Mary's love and her her idea of worship was beautiful. Um, she loved to sit at the feet of Jesus. The, the, the other time was, remember in John chapter 11, when uh, Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead and Mary runs out to meet him and everybody misunderstands what Mary's response is there except for Jesus and Jesus understands. And here we have this beautiful response. Um, it's at the house of Simon the leper. Let's look at uh, verse six. It says, now when Jesus was at Bethany, now Bethany was just uh, a short walk uh, in those times, a short walk from Jerusalem. So we're, again, Mark is taking, or Matthew's taking us backwards here uh, for some reason, he wants to show this difference, and he ties these two stories together. He ties Mary's worship with Judas' betrayal. And what a beautiful um, way to show the two different attitudes toward this. I love what uh, what Wearsby calls this. He calls this uh, the difference between worship versus waste. Mary chose to sit at his feet and worship. Uh, uh, Mary chose to anoint him. Mary chose to bless him. And Judas chooses to complain about the waste. And and as I was reading in Wearsby this week, um, Judas' name, meaning son of perdition, uh, also can be uh, can be translated as uh, the son of waste. And here he talks about the waste. We'll read that. But his life indeed was such a waste. He had the opportunity that that you and I dream about, that someday we'll be able to, to worship at the feet of Christ and to spend time with him possibly. And, and, and Judas had this and he wasted it. This is just to me as proof that you can be so close to a situation spiritually 
and really not be saved. We cannot just be a part of a church and proclaim that we have a relationship with the God of that church. We need to repent and ask him to forgive us of our sins. And then there's this beautiful intimacy that opens up to us. And and anyway, I need to get back to the story. It's been a while since I've taped. We've been moving for the last few weeks. I, I taped a bunch of the podcast way ahead of time, but it's exciting to be back with you. Uh, let's go back to verse six and let me try to start this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, Simon the leper, Number one, how do you get a house if you're a leper? This must have been a, uh, a man of, of great wealth who, who contracted leprosy. And Jesus obviously healed him or they wouldn't be in the house. And so he has this great uh, response and he brings everybody into the house. And it's in Bethany, so he's probably uh, very familiar with, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. A woman came up. See, he doesn't, he doesn't tell you all the details. Matthew is not so much about details as he is about telling what Jesus did. A woman came up to him, um, to Jesus, with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, remember Mary and the other responses we've seen um, at the tomb. And, uh, and also when Jesus came in and she sat at his feet and just wanted to listen, Mary worshiped him. And I believe, and, uh, I, and, it, and Wearsby points out that Mary had an understanding of true worship. And I believe that Mary still, uh, Mary in her mind understood maybe even more than the disciples knew about the resurrection and about the fact that Jesus would be crucified and about the fact that Jesus would be put to death and he wouldn't, he wouldn't get a normal burial. So he wouldn't be able to get a, 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 a true um, uh, respected um, um, treatment of his body after his death. And so she took it upon herself. She took it upon herself to worship him in this way. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. Um, She took that very expensive ointment and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Jesus felt... um, Welcome. Remember, in the Middle Eastern culture, to be welcomed into a home is to be accepted. So he felt welcomed and he felt accepted. And then here Mary pours out this beautiful, beautiful perfume, expensive. Verse 8, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? Matthew mentions maybe more than one disciple was unhappy, where John and Mark mentioned Judas Iscariot by name. Uh, But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Uh, uh, Some people have have believed that Jesus was saying something negative about the poor, and he was not. He was always for the poor, and he was always for the underprivileged. He was always for those who did not have. What he was saying was, you're not always going to have an opportunity to do something like Mary has done. So she's taken this uh, uh, time and and this expense and this and this really uh, an opportunity where she could have been again misunderstood because again she's a woman in that culture. But Jesus loved her and Jesus loved this response and she loved him. It says for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Can you imagine 
what was going on in the minds of those around him as they reclined at the table, enjoying this fellowship. And Jesus says, she's anointed me for my burial. Once again, a, a look forward to a time that Jesus knew was about to, 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 to come to fruition that he would be crucified. Verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel, gospel meaning good news, is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her, this beautiful picture of what she has done. And Jesus prophesies here, Jesus says here, states here very clear that it will be mentioned about her for all eternity. It's going to be a great memory, not to me, but a memory of her. Jesus was not always about himself. Jesus was about others. And he said, when this is remembered, it will not be, look at the focus that she gave to me. Look at this that she did for me because I earned it or I deserved it. He said, no, when this is spoken, it will be spoken of her. And what do you and I do? What kind of things do we do with the gifts that God has given us that will be spoken of us long after we're gone? Not while we're here, not to to put on a business card, not to brag about, but what are the things that, that, that will be spoken about us when, we, when we're remembered, right? We don't do it for that reason, but, and she didn't do it for that reason. I mean, there was no Facebook, there was no uh, um, you know, uh, Twitter, there was none of those accounts, there was none of this TikTok, there was none of this stuff that went on. No, she did it because she was madly in love with her savior. So there's, there's three main um, characters in this, in this story. It's Mary, and we've just seen this beauty of, of Mary's love for her savior. Now let's look at the second character in this story. His name is Judas. And again, Matthew names him um, uh, here as Judas. Then one of the 12 whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Matthew ties these stories together. He says it was more than one disciple who possibly was indignant over this waste, but it's, it's, it's Judas who was the keeper of the money bag, remember? Why did Judas serve Jesus? probably because he thought that he if he was the messiah he would set up a political kingdom and one of the one of the high positions in that political kingdom would be the treasurer you'll remember that he was in charge of the treasury he was able to do at as he pleased with with it in John chapter 12 and verse 6 it it mentions that he used the money in the treasury that he was in charge of the bag, if you will, that, that, that contained the money. And, and we see this switch in the story, but these, these two stories tied together by Matthew. And he says, there's this story of Bethany, and then there's this story of this gift. There's this story of this beautiful thing that, that, that Mary does for Jesus. And then on the, on the counter of that is Judas. And we don't know, but maybe, maybe this was the final nail in the coffin, if you will, for, for Judas when he said, this is not, this is not the guy that I'm going to serve. And this is not the guy that's going to give me what I need. So I'm going to be looking for something else. And what does he do? He goes to the chief priest and he says, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? 
Now, some people have said that Judas probably did this to get Jesus to proclaim his kingdom and to set up his kingdom. I don't know. I don't know what went on in the mind of Judas. I don't know what would have went on in your mind or my mind in this situation as well. But we just know that Judas was really truthfully looking for something that he was not going to find in Christ, unfortunately. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, which was said to be the price of a slave. For 30 pieces of silver, he sold out him uh, to the chief priest. Verse 16, and from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him, Matthew says. Everything changed. Up until that time, he was probably seeking what would happen and what would become of him in this system and what would be um, what would be important. Where would he fit in and what would be his position in this situation? So we see Mary and we see Judas, and we read a little bit about uh, what Jesus' response was, but let's go back to uh, look at look at Jesus' response. We looked at Judas again. We looked a little into Jesus and we looked into Mary, but let's look again back at what Jesus' response was. Verse 10 of Matthew 26. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? Jesus comes to her aid. Jesus comes to defend her. Jesus speaks as he does for you and I, maybe in situations where we don't even know, where we don't even know what's going on. We don't even know what's being said. And in this situation, Jesus responds, why don't you leave her alone? What she's done is amazing. What she's done will be spoken of forever. Jesus comes to her aid just like he comes to yours and mine. When people misunderstand, they, they, may, they may think that we're doing things for the wrong motive. They may question our motives. They may question our desires. But because of what Jesus has done, we understand that he defends us, that he's for us. He's not against us. So no matter what you're going through today, we can look back at the story in this, in this kind of a little break as we head towards the last few days of Jesus' life. We look at the story right in the middle of the last week of his life. And for some reason, Matthew decides to take us back and to show us what true worship looks like and to show us what Jesus' response is to true worship. And to show us how the Jesus knows the difference between worship and waste. How a life bent on serving him and then a life bent on service to ourself. And Matthew juxtaposed these two people together and these two stories together and these two lives together. And can I ask you, can I ask myself this morning, can I just put this question out of there? Is our life a life of worship? Are we using the gifts that we have to worship him? Or are our gifts being wasted? Your gifts and mine. What are we doing with our lives? You know, I, I heard the other day, and I, I think it's so true, that we have a tendency to raise our children like this is all there is. With not an eternal perspective, but this temporal perspective of the days on this earth. And it's okay, the Bible says, to teach us to number our days, but we need, we need to teach our children to, to live with an eternal perspective. And you and I need to do the same. I've went a little long today. Let me pray for us. Numbers chapter six, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.